Um, hello, viewers. This is Tim and Dan coming no, in. No, not viewers. You're not viewing this. Shit. Hello, uh, audience. Hello, readers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hello, just, humans. This is Tim and Dan coming at you at the beginning of this podcast to give you an appropriate content warning. Um, in this episode, we talk about some some heavy shit, like, for example, <laughs> Dan, over to you. So heavy shit. Um, that just created an image that made me laugh in my head. Um, there's some like really heavy like feces, like Nibbler um, in Futurama. Yeah, yeah, basically. Oh, I love Nibbler. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're, we're here to give, um, yeah, just a gentle warning that um, in this podcast we do touch on um, things like grief and loss and mental health and eating disorders and recovery and. Uh, anything else you think we need to mention, Tim? Does that cover it? I think I think those are the main ones, really. Um, I'd um, say something maybe slightly homophobic at the end. So, may, there's no maybe about it. <laughs> Tim says something definitely homophobic um, a couple so, of times. So stick around. Stick, wait to listen says, to the end. Tim also says the word lame, which we're not allowed to say. Um, so I didn't know that. Um, but, I've, come, um, I've come out really badly in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> if those things are, are triggers or, or evoke difficult things, then just be mindful of that. I would still encourage you to actually listen, but I think be mindful of that and look after yourself and do what you need to do. Okay, on with the show. Are recording. Shall we do the thing that we did last time where we say welcome to Joy Story in unison? Is that going to be a thing? I think we've got really good at doing this unison thing. Yeah, we've been practicing a lot over the past month. Separately, okay. but yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've not seen each other. <laughs> okay. So are we like counting in and doing a welcome to Joy Story? Or? Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. I'll, I'll count us in. Ready? A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Welcome to Joy Story. Story. Gets better every time. Gets better every time. (laughs) It was good. I enjoyed that. Um, So I guess we should start by introducing ourselves again as well. We're on episode three, aren't we now? Yes. So I am Dan, and I guess the way we frame some of this is that I am coming as a psychotherapist i've said that like i'm coming dressed up as a psychotherapist in my head there like today i'm going to be dressing up as a psychotherapist for listeners dan is wearing a jurassic park uh hoodie uh, at the moment which, 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 which is the uniform of the psychotherapist I think. <laughs> that is, any psychotherapists who have not got this are not true psychotherapists yeah so yeah I, i'm coming from the perspective of a psychotherapist i'm also coming from the position of a human being who enjoys writing music on his piano and enjoys writing music with chords with augmented or diminished fifths and with weird time signatures and I try and do that in an organic way and even as I say that out loud it sounds so contrived it can't possibly be organic but um yeah so that's what that's me I I enjoy writing interesting sounding music that's so apart from that last sentence which I understood most of what you've just said, I've got uh, augmented fifths. What? I don't even know what that means. Do you want me to play you a quick augmented fifth? 
Do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you get to pick this up. Um so that's that's a normal chord. That's G. Okay. Right. If I play an augmented fifth. It's not. So oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, I feel like I'm going to turn around and write a song now. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> but, um, it's those kind of weird. That's anyway. That's what I enjoy doing. That I'm, so wow. today I'm joining this podcast as someone who likes playing that on the piano. Wow. And for listeners, uh, Dan turned around then to play his piano. And what I noticed is that Dan is not only wearing a Jurassic Park hoodie, but he's also wearing shorts on a horrible grey rainy day. So good on you, Dan. Well, I've just got back off holiday, so... Still, um, in, that, still in that holiday mindset. I'm, I'm wearing the exact outfit that I flew back from Zakynthas last night in. Is that true? Yeah. How disgusting. I probably stink. Yeah. So I'm also coming to you as someone who stinks. <laughs> How um, about you? Um, oh, I'm Tim. Um, and I am coming at this conversation from the perspective of somebody who has studied theology and is interested in spirituality and is now an actual hospital chaplain. We talked a little bit about that in the past two episodes as a job that was coming up. Now it's a job that's here that I've been doing for, um, well, a month, almost a month to the day, in fact. Um, and I'm also coming at this as a fan of a TV series called Better Call Saul, which I've oh, recently wow. been re-watching because there's a new season coming out imminently. And it's been such a long time since the last season that I've started watching it all again. And I love it so much. And I get home from work. Um, from the chaplaincy job, emotionally drained and physically exhausted and lie on the sofa and watch a couple of episodes of Better Call, Better Call Saul. And just like, it's so cool. It's such a cool show. And it just like, oh man, it makes me feel so much better. And Breaking Bad as well. But I, I'm, I'm at the moment focusing on Better Call Saul. You've now made me want to just talk to you about Better Call Saul for this whole episode because I am in love with Better Call Saul. And Maybe we could do it. A different a better call Saul podcast oh, maybe we maybe we could. i mean i do look i love breaking bad a lot but there's something about better call Saul. um I, I love the pace of it so much yeah um, yeah it's it's and, really slow paced and i have to really actively resist the temptation to like dual screen you know to like get my phone out or play on my ipad or whatever while i'm watching it because even though it's really slow paced and you start doing that and you miss just all the kind of just the awesome cinematography or the little like glances, little things that happen really quietly and subtly, which say a lot, you know, if you're not paying full attention to it, you really miss so much. Um, It's just a work of art, that show. I love it so much. I will be due a rewatch. Each season that's come out, I've always done a rewatch of all the ones that have already been out. So I will do that again before the next season. Well, I normally do all of Breaking Bad and then all of Better Call Saul. Um, Wow. Wow. Which is quite... A lot. Oh, yeah, oh, you're that's quite, really you're, nice. Um, you're quite quite a busy guy. I don't know quite how you find time to rewatch those shows all the time. I'm rewatching Once quite a, a lot year. at the moment. I'm, well, I'm. I think we've said before. Like I'm rewatching Future Armor at the moment. I'm rewatching Veep. I'm rewatching Succession. I'm rewatching The Sopranos. Oh, these are all such good shows, Dan. Yeah, um, this is. I think our mutual taste in pop culture is really like the the cement on which our friendship is built. Like this, that's the foundation of our friendship because 
everything you're saying i'm like fully here fully here here. for and in fact i think our first interaction with each other was in a zoom meeting at work and you noticed i had a lego millennium falcon on the shelf behind me and we had uh, we ended up talking more about that than about whatever it was we were supposed to be talking about and that was a moment i think for me and i guess probably for both of us where we thought hmm, this is a potential friend not yeah. just a colleague that was nice and it's funny those little things of like this is a potential friend because i haven't had that many times as an adult especially with another male i was talking to another friend another male friend about this recently because i think as an adult i've only made three male friends and mm-hmm. you're one of them. You're one of those three. I'm on it. Um, yeah. Well, the other two, interestingly enough, are um, one who we had a question from last time that in our last podcast that we answered. And uh, mm-hmm. the third is a question that we're going to come to from my other friend. Um, oh, is that right? Yes. That's cool. <laughs> meeting of these three. But yeah, no, you're right. I remember that meeting and I did notice your um, Millennium Falcon. Um and then I think I quickly asked you about other things in your background. And when there was a Jurassic Park thing, I was quite excited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Jurassic Park is the key one, I think. That's because uh, that's my favorite movie. And I think, is it your favorite movie? It is, it your is favorite my favorite movie. Well. movie. Yeah. yeah. Hence the hoodie. I've got it. You know, it's... Yeah. It's not the first time I've seen that hoodie. Of course. Um, <laughs> it won't be the last. Um... <laughs> I should hope not. <laughs> um. Yes, yeah, so, well, that was a bit of a digression, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, into I guess it's the stuff that brings us together and continues to probably to bring us together as well. Yeah, um, and actually, it kind of it's um, you sort you talked about as an adult, it's hard to make friends, and that kind of ties to what we were talking about in the last episode about um, maintaining the kind of creativity and playfulness of childhood as you kind of move into adulthood. And I have kind of joked with friends before about how like as a five-year-old it's perfectly acceptable to go up to another five-year-old on the playground and say do you want to be my friend and the other one either goes yes or no and you just like it's just that straightforward like shall we be friends yes um whereas as an adult you can't really do the kind of like shall we be friends question um i feel like by the time you're comfortable enough to ask that question you're already friends um but it can be quite a tricky especially people who you meet from work or whatever it can be a tricky kind of transition from like yeah, well, I think it's difficult because I get really insecure about it, and I and, and I what I want to say, I say this not based on that many experiences. Like I've said, three three male friends as an adult, but like I what I want to end up saying is, this is how I feel about you as a friend. Do you feel the same about me? Yeah, because, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to invest more if you're not going like, to exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like exactly. when we're at school and you used to give a little note saying, do you like me? And then tick boxes, yeah. yes, no, maybe. <laughs> you want to do that. Yeah. But I think I, I end up doing a version of that, though. I, end, I do end up saying, like, this is kind of how I am seeing our friendship. How are you seeing our friendship? Um, yeah. It's, and I, I get really, yeah, really worried about that stuff. Um, I think what I get worried about is... Um, I don't want to invest so much in a friendship if the other person doesn't reciprocate and then I get like rejected and um, yeah. uh, question my whole worldview then of like, oh, I thought there was a connection here. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have this odd um, thing that I assume people are going to think that I fancy them. So like <laughs> male or female, anytime like I like try to get closer to somebody because I think they're cool and want to be their friend, there's always a part of me that's like, 
ease off, ease off a little bit, mate, because she'll think that you're hitting on her if, if, if you send that message or whatever it is. Um, and so I just have this real anxiety, like, and I almost like qualify it by being like, but don't worry. I know you have a boyfriend. I just, I just thought maybe it'd be nice to get a coffee. Like, I don't mean anything by it. It's, <laughs> and it's fine if you don't. <laughs> it's funny that, isn't it? That I guess, yeah, between adults, when you say things like that, and yeah, I guess I've been mindful of that, especially like I said, making male friends, like as a gay male adult as well. I, I do wonder sometimes when I'm connecting with another male, what is there something about, um, yeah, sexuality or identity, like in that, that people start maybe thinking about, and like, do, yeah, do you do you think I'm crushing on you because mm. I want to be your friend? And I love that version of just going up to someone in the playground of like, do you want to be my friend? It'd be so. Maybe we should have just done that, Tim, when we had that first meeting. Um, well, I think we more or less did actually. <laughs> to be, be fair, friend. I think it didn't take long. <laughs> <laughs> and I, um, because because I'm a terrible religious homophobe. I just assume that all gay people fancy all men. So I, I just took it for granted that you fancy me. Um, just that, that was a normal thing. So it's funny <laughs> that you say that as well, because this, uh, so one of my other male friends, um, no, I'm, I won't go down there. Um, but like, yeah, maybe, maybe, I, <laughs> maybe I am drawn to um, straight male homophobic uh, people. Yeah. yeah, it's like a form of self-harm for you. <laughs> Oh God! Um, <laughs> anyway, that's um, that, we've really gone off piste. Um, we really have. Yeah, I wanted said, to give a bit of feedback on yeah. um, I got from my last episode. Um, I hope that she doesn't mind me reading this out. I probably should have asked her, really. Um, but uh, my sister sent me some feedback um, from my last episode. My sister Kelly. Um, I'm going to read it out, and I hope she doesn't mind this. I, I, I can't see what she would. Um, so she wrote, after listening to Joy's story regarding fun, I reflected on why lockdown was so uh, amazing for my kids. It's this, together we went back to childhood and I literally followed a book called The Joy Journal, which Russell Brand's wife wrote, and three of us did activities together, um, which I think also probably met a bit of need for my sister as well. Um, and then she put, she took her two daughters, my uh, nieces, to uh, a luau last night. No parents were in the pool. They were all sat on the edge. Um, and her husband and my sister got in and played for two hours and didn't care and had such a nice night. Thanks, Joy Story. That's lovely. That's really cool. Yeah, I um, I really love that. I love the thought of all these stuffy adults not being able to get in touch with uh, some kind of childhood joy sitting around the edge because that's all we have to do. We follow these rules of like sitting around the edge while the kids play. Yeah. And um, my sister and her husband, my brother-in-law, were able to jump in and have fun and play. Yeah. yeah, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's awesome. I had, yeah. I mean, I haven't got anything to read out. I didn't get anything in writing, but I have had some lovely feedback from the last episode from friends and family. And um, one friend in particular who who talked about her dog, because you, you talked a lot about Norma, your dog, in the last episode. And she was saying that actually she has the same thing with her dog, just the kind of the playfulness and the curiosity and everything that her dog brings into her life kind of allows her to connect with that part of herself as well so that was, was really awesome to hear um That's and i got cool. just a few really lovely comments from people so they really enjoyed the conversation and you know like the way that we talk with each other and that kind of stuff so that was really awesome um no that is nice I mean, that's really nice to hear um well that thing like, i guess you brought like dog up there and norma and like i know you'd asked well we both asked each other like what 
had brought us some kind of joy since the last episode. And I think we'll probably do that each episode. It's really hard to, to not have that be normal each time for me. <laughs> yeah, say. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I've just got back up holiday. Um, and I was so excited to get back home and see Norma last night. Like I just, genuinely was so excited to see her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to, well, if we get to that today, I, I'm, I'm going to try and not pick a Norma thing every time. Cause it's okay. Okay. Um, just take it as the, Norma always brings me joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We can assume that's the baseline. Like, whatever... If you ever can't think of something for that question, we've got the Norma thing to fall back on. We've got the Norma thing, as we call her. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, not to literally fall back on Norma. That'd be... Yeah, where's the Norma thing? Um... (laughs) (laughs) That Norma thing. (laughs) (laughs) um we so we should say uh, you know if generally so we've got the we've got the email address um to email uh with questions and that kind of stuff but you can also what's the email address tim (laughs) joy story podcast at gmail.com well done well done yes joy story podcast at gmail.com so you can email us with questions and things that you would like us to explore and talk about on the podcast but also if there's feedback or kind of you want to be part of the conversation, like, like Dan's sister did and like, like my friend with her dog did, you know, just to kind of let us know what you thought about what we talked about, then, then do use that email address to get in touch with us as well. And we might read some of those emails out um, in kind of future episodes of the show and just kind of open it up a little bit. Definitely. It'd be really nice to hear. Yeah. What people uh, experience our conversations like, um, yeah, any feedback really, questions, thoughts, ideas. Yeah, being I like that kind of being part of the the conversation. Opening it yeah. up. Although sometimes I also feel like a bit precious about our conversations, and like I like <laughs> our conversations to be our conversations. Yeah, um, but... yeah. don't want amateurs getting involved. You don't, <laughs> you don't know. You don't know about joy. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it didn't sound like that. What I just said. Um... <laughs> Um, speaking of amateurs getting involved, we have got a couple of questions. <laughs> um, so, I so for the record, Tom, I hope you are listening to this. So I'm going to read a question from. I don't think you are an amateur, and I don't think I don't. Of course, I want you part of this conversation. Um, so, if I read this conversation that um, my good friend Tom sent in, um, yeah. and then do you want to read yours out, and then we'll, I think we can do a bit of a combination of both, can't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just to say as well, we have had quite a few questions through from different people, which we are building a little bank of that we will get to in other episodes, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Tom, um, who I um, love an, also, an awful lot, um, he sent me a question that says, I'd love to hear you and Tim talk about finding joy through grief and loss. So not a question, actually, um, but mm. something you'd like to hear us talk about, finding joy through grief and loss. Yeah, and I've got a question from uh, my friend Lenny, um, who uh, asked whether we're going to talk about finding joy through leaving our comfort zones and seeking discomfort, Um, which I think those two things are kind of interesting kind of related questions, because they're both about things which on the surface of it actually seem really hard and really difficult. Mm. And like, why would you want to do that? Um, But the idea... Well, certainly from a kind of religious, spiritual kind of place where I'm coming from is that 
joy and peace and um dan's pretending to yawn it's outrageous <laughs> behavior um but joy and peace are always always eternally present even even in those situations which are really kind of challenging and difficult like grief and loss or doing stuff which makes you uncomfortable or stuff that you're scared of um so yeah so we thought those two questions were kind of related yeah. to each other in an interesting way um yeah i have crossover i think and now if lenny was here with us he might tell me that i've got this slightly wrong but i think lenny's question comes from this kind of i think it's like a youtube community called yes theory and that's their kind of underpinning philosophy i i only know about them through lenny so i might slightly be misquoting him here but um that their kind of underpinning philosophy is this thing about go out and do the things that make you uncomfortable because that's where you'll kind of come to life. So like say yes to those kind of challenges in life that make you uncomfortable. Um, what, what do you think about that as a concept? I, I'm really, so I do have like, I've thought about this a lot, particularly in the past month in my new job, that there are, certain situations that I come across at work quite often, which are really scary and really uncomfortable uh, and often very upsetting. And I kind of have this urge, this impulse in myself to, if I'm scared of something, I need to move towards it rather than to run away from it. Um, obviously, now, if we we're talking about basic survival instinct, like, you know, if, if I'm, you know, scared of, the lion that's charging at me in the Serengeti moving towards that would be a mistake. But when it's something about, well, using the language in Lenny's question about discomfort, that actually moving towards the thing that I'm uncomfortable about might be scary, but actually it's potentially less scary than living frozen in fear and not doing the things that we're scared of doing. Yeah, I think there's a number of ways you can interpret that. Because um, initially, when you say when you said that out loud, um, I was thinking, I can see that for some people, that's probably not my experience. Is that I, I don't think I want to move to the things I'm scared of. To, but, but then actually, as you were talking, then I think I have got examples of where I've done that and do that. Um, I guess it's just how I maybe we frame it a bit um differently um because i know i will tim you and i have had quite a conversation before recording this today that involved maybe some of the things you were just uh, alluding to there but um i think i don't know how vulnerable i want to go today i'm really tired um, <laughs> um so, <laughs> i don't know how i don't know how um like armored up i am um okay. for, for okay. vulnerability but i'm gonna well, go some length Mate, if you cry, that's great content. We'll get loads of clicks for that. So um, we'll get, get um, the, the money will roll in. Cry. Well, with what I'm about to say, I might cry. So now that you've joked about it, I, I hope I do cry now. Um, I, just to, I hope so too. To show you. I hope so too. I want, I want those cry views coming in. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> those cry clicks are worth way more. Um, worth their weight in gold. Worth their weight in tears. <laughs> um. So I I suspect I will talk a lot more about this in the future and I don't know how much I do want to today but um um <laughs> um so I am 
a few years into recovery. I don't know why I'm laughing about this. A few years into recovery from an eating disorder. I'm saying this because we joked a bit about <laughs> how profound something might be before yeah. we recorded. <laughs> I'm, I'm a few years um, into recovery uh, with an eating disorder. And um, when I think about like moving to discomfort and joy this that's exactly what i've done through recovery like i was in a horrible miserable rotten disgusting vile place um and still have like flashes of that um sometimes but like i was like, kind of living in that in, in my head and then through getting treatment and recovery um i've definitely moved that, that that was a comfortable place it was horrible and miserable but it was comfortable and i found myself there for a lot of reasons but it was comfortable and i knew it and i felt like i had some control of it even though i often didn't so moving away from this miserable place that was comfortable it was exactly that really like i moved to a place of getting healthier getting better recovering which was really uncomfortable to do it and it still is really hard sometimes like it takes a lot of effort um and i've got examples of that from the last week on holiday as well of how much effort that sometimes takes Mm -hmm. but yeah but how much joy that can bring um to to go to those places and find um going to i don't know going to a place of discomfort ending up being way more comfortable than I thought it would. You know, you can look at this place yeah. called discomfort and it looks really uninviting, unappealing, scary maybe. And as you move towards it and get inside it and occupy it, mm-hmm. it can end up feeling a lot more comfortable and better fitting than it looked from the outside. Yeah. Um, and like, oh, this wasn't as bad actually. And now I've found some like joy in the middle of this as well. Um, yeah. yeah. I think like... I- it, it is tricky, isn't it? Because I, I'd be quite nervous about any kind of message that says you need to push yourself harder all of the time, because mm. I think that can end up being quite, well, it's quite an abusive message actually. Yeah. And pushing yourself harder all the time can lead to burnout and illness and, um, yeah, just actually being very unkind to yourself. And that, that isn't what what i would kind of i mean i don't i don't know these yes theory guys that my friend lenny is into i don't know anything about them so i I won't comment on what they believe or what that philosophy is but for for me and my understanding of that thing of moving towards the areas that are uncomfortable to you is i guess that the goal of that the the kind of the point of doing that is almost to expand your comfort zone to make the world a safer place for you, not a more dangerous place. So you can have a very, very small comfort zone and everything outside of that comfort zone is scary and overwhelming and too much. And by beginning to venture outside of your comfort zone, what you're doing is you're making it bigger. And it's it, it can be an act of self-care, actually, to leave your comfort zone because you're making the world a little bit safer when you do it by familiarizing yourself with the things that frighten you. And I, I sometimes think, because I've got my issues with anxiety that we've spoken about before. And I often feel most vulnerable when I'm in a place that's new or alien to me, you know, either a physical place, you know, like a part of the country or a part of the world, which I don't know, uh, or kind of like an emotional place. Like there's a new experience. I don't really know what to do with it. Um, But like if I'm traveling, for example, the thought of 
this is new and alien to me, but this is, this is somebody else's home. This is their comfort zone. This, there, there isn't anything inherently frightening about this place. For somebody else, this is the place where they feel safe. And just have, just allowing myself to have that thought makes that place feel slightly safer for me. Like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. it's not, it's not that there's anything wrong or scary about this place. It's just new to me. And that's kind of how I understand it. So you're stepping out to increase your comfort zone, to make your comfort zone bigger and um, to expand it. Um, whereas, like I say, the, the thing which that's easily, uh, potentially misunderstood as is like, just really be a bastard to yourself and really, you know, treat like treat yourself really badly and be unhappy, you know? So almost like that, that kind of classic Protestant work ethic kind of thing of like, if you're comfortable, you're probably doing something wrong and you should be ashamed of yourself because you're not working hard enough. I think this is why I said like it can be interpreted so many different ways because, um, like another example, I love your little, the way you've just described that, Tim, by the way, um, like the, your um, like frame of reference almost like, oh, well, th- this place for somebody else is their comfort zone and that kind of helps you then to understand it in a bit of a different f- mm. framing. I really love that. Um, yeah, th- what I was going to say is, so this year I started going to a hip-hop dance class and um, I've wanted to do that for years and being able to kind of it's felt very uncomfortable to to even find where they are then to go to one and step foot through the door and meet people and go and do something new that I've never done before with other people it's really really scary and I remember when I went to the first class I'd never been as nervous since I was a kid I think as as going to do the thing and it's one of my favorite hours I have every week now I absolutely love my hip-hop dance class it's something that brings me so much joy um, but that was definitely like stepping out of my comfort zone to go and do something that I knew could then become part of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But these things do come with like caveats and that they're, they're all, it's all very you specific, isn't it? And I don't yeah. mean you, Tim, like you, you as whoever you are. Like Because yeah. I could also say going and joining a football team would be really out of my comfort zone. And it would, but I also know I'd hate it. Yeah. Like I'd, yeah. I'd hate it. I would not find joy. I don't like it. I don't yeah. want to do it. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to go make myself do that because it's an uncomfortable place. Um, but if it was an uncomfortable place that I thought I could then incorporate or, um, yeah, amalgamate into like my comfort zone, maybe, but like, it's not. So I think there's, there's knowing some of that stuff about yourself and um, what, what is, yeah, what could become comfortable, what could become joyful, what could become less threatening or, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's lots of different versions of that. Yeah. It's really, it's such a fine line and it's such a nuanced thing between like the kind of discomfort that's meaningful that holds hold something in it, some treasure in it for you to seek that, that will be ultimately rewarding and bring you joy and peace and the kind of discomfort, which is just kind of self-flagellation, you know, which Mm -hmm. is just like hurting yourself for, for no reason. Um, and like, so, uh, and so Dan and I were just talking about this before we hit records just now, but my new job as a hospital chaplain, I wasn't prepared for quite how uncomfortable it would be a lot of the time. There's there's new situations that I'm faced with all of the time that I've got no frame of reference for that I've never had to deal with before. 
And a lot of them are really heavy and really sad and really like quite overwhelming. Um, but I, even though I find them exhausting, overwhelming, I need to take a lot of time to look after myself and to be kind to myself afterwards and preparing for them and that kind of thing. There's all the, they're all the kind of situations where I feel like I, I want to be good at this and I can see the value in it for me and for the people who I'm working with. Um, and there's meaning here in me being here. So me going towards those situations, which are uncomfortable, scary, sad, whatever at work, um, feels like a good, it really, really difficult, but really good and worthwhile thing to do. And something which actually does lead to joy, um, because it leads to me growing in a way that I want to grow. Whereas there's other situations which make me uncomfortable. And I would look at previous jobs actually as an example of this. Um, where I'm not very happy and I'm not enjoying it and it makes me uncomfortable, but, and also I don't see the point in it. I don't see, you know, that it's not adding any value to my life. It's just me being uncomfortable and unhappy. Um, and, and you're fucking smashing it, Tim, as well. This like new stuff. I know like, it's not as straightforward as like, I've got this new job and it's great or whatever. Like, but the, you're like that, how you've described all of that is, like you smashing it because you are you when you were talking about that difficulty there's a difficulty in that and um what was the phrase that came to my mind when you were saying that like there's there's a what's the quality of that difficulty I think is what I was thinking like what um because we're not saying go and do anything that's difficult go and do anything that's out of your comfort zone go and do anything that challenges you because it's the quality of that thing and you know that the quality of the difficulty that you're facing yeah brings meaning joy hopefully peace and you have some fulfillment and you know job enjoyment as well as like life as well and bringing you lots of other stuff so it's the knowing that this difficulty is either leading somewhere or part of something that feels within your capacity and remit to do um, that isn't just difficult. You're not doing this because it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It happens to be difficult. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 I'm chasing like, what can I find that's going to be difficult? Yeah. 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 That's right. I'm doing it for, I'm doing it for the rewards of doing it, that there are real meaningful rewards to doing it. And, And, you know, to, you know, to be with people in what for some people is the hardest thing that they'll ever face in their life, you know, long-term illness, death, grief, whatever, to sit with people in those times um, is a, a huge privilege. And you develop a kind of connection, which I crave. I crave connection with other people. I crave meaningful connection all the time. And I suspect probably most people do. But so much of our the structure of the world that we're living in is set up around superficial connection, you know, set up around like just being entertained or just kind of, uh, you know, relationships where you can take what you can, what you can get out of them and then leave them. And, you know, that kind of thing. But these kinds of connections that you have with people in these really dark and difficult times in their lives are loaded with meaning and with real honesty and like, yeah, you just kind of cut through all of the bullshit in those moments and just really connect with people. Um, 
which is really rewarding. It's really rewarding. Like I say, fucking hard and tiring. And I need to, you know, after each of those encounters, I feel like I need to sleep for a month to get better. But I don't regret any of them because they're also kind of powerful and meaningful and like, yeah, just real, you know, you kind of feel, makes you feel alive in a way. You need to do your version of Superman flying up to get some sunshine. And yeah, to, yeah. To That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Or, or to go to the, um, uh, what does he call it? Fortress of Solitude. Yeah. You know, like that's often what I find myself needing. I just need to go away and be by myself for a while in the Fortress of Solitude. It's a good name as well, that, isn't it? Yeah, like I I feel like I need a Fortress of Solitude every day. Um, yeah, yeah, me too, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know, like, I was going to say you were talking about professional stuff there, but it's obviously personal as well because it's real. We were talking about really real situations that are really difficult and emotionally impact you. Mm-hmm. I guess it's relating back to like Tom's question of or thought of us finding joy through grief and loss when it's like our own grief or loss. Um, and your sentiment then about cutting through the bullshit and sharing an experience, I think probably relates to that. You know, when you've had your own grief or loss and it's shared, like if someone else has also lost the same person or or whoever whatever it is we're talking about there is a certain amount of cutting through the bullshit of sitting in a shared experience it's really powerful yeah yeah Um, that sometimes doesn't need a conversation but being alongside someone um and that i feel like i'm jumping all over the place in my brain even before i'm even able to jump all over the place out loud here (laughs) like um like being alongside someone is such a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And again, something else we were talking about before recording, I think, was an, int- an intensity of different emotions feeling quite similar. So whether it's um, the edge of feeling terror and fear or joy or despair and them having some quite similar feelings about them. Yeah. And I think when you can share in that intensity with someone and sit alongside them, you don't necessarily need a conversation. But yeah. you, if you've yeah. lost somebody that you are both connected to, and you can just be in that together and you can understand and and empathize with like someone else's experience as well as feeling your own, I think yeah. could be really profound. And I, I'm going to struggle to attach the word joy to it because it might not feel like joy for some people. I yeah. know it has felt like joy to me sometimes when that's happened that, wow, I'm in this moment with somebody else and we've got this profound connection. It's based on something awful because we've lost somebody and it's horrible and it's, deeply depressing it's sad it's distressing yeah but i'm also alongside that connected to somebody and in something with somebody that i can't even explain to other people and i just think that's an incredible feeling sometimes um and and at the risk of kind of stumbling over all of these thoughts i'm having at the same time um i also think i know what i've experienced through grief and loss is in terms of joy is that um what memories you 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 do say out loud to each other and what you remember about people and celebrate about people that you've lost whether it's a yeah a family pet or a person or a relative or a friend or someone you've looked after or someone in a job or whatever you know that you can remember things and um i found an awful lot of laughter through loss yeah um, yeah yeah as well as like heartbreak but being able to like laugh and remember um yeah, I'm getting a bit lost in my own thought process. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I um, yeah, I I had really similar thoughts when you read that question. I think um, what occurred to me just now while we were talking about the kind of seeking discomfort thing is 
that there's parallels, but actually the difference between those two questions is that seeking discomfort is a choice that you make. It's a proactive decision, whereas grief is something that happens to you. It's often, well, almost always something that you have no control over whatsoever. It's just, it's imposed upon you. The loss is, is not something that you have control over. Um, and like you, I kind of thought, you know, the, the word joy, which is what this podcast is all about is such a, it feels really difficult to talk about that in the context of grief, because I wouldn't want to trivialize grief, um, Mm. because grief is horrible. Grief is like absolutely overwhelmingly just a horrible kind of experience to go through. And I, I, what I absolutely wouldn't want this podcast to sound like we're saying is a kind of, well, smile through the tears kind of thing. Like, because that's such a horrible thing to say to someone, you know, like grief is horrible, but also really important, really important to go through. And it's important to not try to smile through the tears. I always have this thing. I had it, you know, when I was working for a cathedral, we had lots of funerals come to the cathedral. Um, and occasionally you'd have people, and actually I've had these conversations with people at the hospital as well, who say, you know, at my funeral, I don't want people to be all dressed in black. I want them to wear like bright colors and to really celebrate my life and to have a really lovely time. And I always want to kind of push back on that a little bit and say, your funeral isn't for you, actually. It's for it's for the people who are coming to the funeral. Um and they need to cry. Um and they they need to be sad. And it's really good and healthy and important for them to be sad. And wearing black is one expression of that. But that kind of idea of like, you know, I want it to be fun songs and colours and that kind of stuff. I, I I'm a little bit uncomfortable with because I feel like don't rob people of their grief. They, they need to feel it. They need to feel sad. And in the same way, I, I don't want, and I'm, I, I don't think we will, but I just want to be really clear with this podcast that we're not saying, well, you know, put on a colorful jumper and, you know, smile, even though you don't feel like smiling, because that's not what you should do. That's not good. And it's not healthy. But that said, there is, you know, we talked a bit, I think in the first episode about joy being this thing, which is different from, just kind of an in the moment kind of playful happiness. It's a, it's a deeper thing. It's like a current within us that you can experience even in the hardest of times. And, you know, maybe sometimes you could almost substitute it for the word peace or meaning or whatever, but there's something kind of much deeper. And I think what, go on, you want to jump in? Yeah. I just wanted to echo something you were just saying a little bit before we move on from it, because I just, I think it's really important what you just said. And um, I think the only thing I wanted to add is for anyone listening, if you can't find joy in some of those darker moments we've talked about, it's not because you're not trying hard enough. It's not your fault. You know, it's not, I, I guess I just wanted to add that in like, yeah, just because yeah. we've got examples where we've been able to find something like that or experience something like that as a byproduct of whatever the, the darkness or the loss or whatever it is, is if you don't have that, it's not because you're not trying. It's not because it's, it, it's because you are in whatever you are in yeah. and it, it comes at different times and it lasts different amounts of times. And, you know, I know you would touch on this a second ago, but people do that thing with when you've lost someone, people say like, it gets easier with time. And you're like, well, I mean, it doesn't really like it's still, the loss mm-hmm. is still the same loss, but you learn to carry it. And, um, it's still the same weight there. Yeah. But yeah. Over time you've learned to bear that weight. Yeah. And to almost like incorporate it into this new world where this other, this person or whatever it is you've lost is gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 
I always think it's such an unhelpful thing when people say like it, it gets easier with time because I, I just don't think that's true. Yeah, and also um, like I think there's a perfectly reasonable response to that, which is I don't want it to get easier with time. Yeah. You know, like I, you know, I've lost somebody who meant the world to me, and I don't want to get to a place where this feels easy. Um, I want to be able to live my life and to you know find happiness and joy and fulfillment and that kind of stuff. But I don't want to get to a point where like thinking about that person or that thing that I lost becomes easy. Um, that feels like it's robbing me of something. Um, yeah. I mean, and also like, not that you have to put meaning on losing someone, but my experience of losing people and like, uh, dogs as well, actually like has, Mm. is for me been like, well, that's, symbolizes for me how important that relationship was like that's right it hurts this much because it meant so much yeah um, and it means so much and so I'm, I'm guessing i guess i'm saying like you don't have to have that take on it but that is my take on it yeah um but that it is hurt that much because it's meant so much yeah and yeah you don't want that to almost diminish because then you like your meaning is also diminished as well yeah and I, so i think there's I think this is probably something we'll talk quite a lot about in the podcast over like future episodes too, because it's something I'm quite passionate about. I think we in the West have started talking about mental health and well-being and that kind of stuff as if it's entirely the responsible the, the responsibility of the individual. So you are responsible for finding joy in grief and you are responsible for sorting out your head and for getting better and that kind of stuff. And actually, what I really believe is that joy and peace and well-being and all of those good things are mediated to us in community um, and that the people around us really matter in in in, in kind of us finding our happiness. Um, and I've really reflected on this a lot in the past month because I've I've spent quite a lot of time with people who are close to death. And we have in in the west completely pushed death off to one side so it happens in a side room in a hospital um and you know in other cultures you know you'd have a wake you know where you're you you know you're the, the 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 person who's died is in the room with you for a few days maybe and you know people come and go and your friends come and bring you food and that kind of stuff to look after you and there's a whole communal element to grieving Whereas here in the West, you know, as someone get close, gets close to dying, they get pushed off into a little side room in a hospital. And one of the things which I found really, really hard about this job is realizing just how many people die alone and how much that sucks, you know, that that's such a sad thing. Um, and I've, I've been, I had this one thing a while ago where I went to see a lady very early on in, in my job, you know, just a few days in. And as I got into the room, I realized, oh, this woman has days if not hours to live and is clearly unresponsive i'm not even sure if she's aware of my presence here in the room and i completely floundered i had this real kind of like i kept on asking her questions i kept on saying are you all right are you are you being well looked after and my mind was going she can't answer you stop asking her questions this, this must be really annoying for her if she can hear you um and i left feeling really like okay i need to be prepared for this situation in future so now i've got like a little toolkit of resources so i've got like 
little poems to read to people and that kind of stuff. So if I go in and someone's non-responsive and I wasn't expecting them to be non-responsive, okay, well, I can, I'll tell them a little bit about what the weather's like today and I'll hold their hand and I'll read them a poem and that kind of stuff. Because I think if I was in that position where maybe I could hear things, but I didn't have the energy left to be able to even move my head or respond, just knowing that there's somebody there with me holding my hand that's probably the mo- the thing I would want more than anything else. And when it comes to grief, I think, again, this idea of like, well, you got to put yourself up by your bootstraps and move on with life. And it's your responsibility to kind of sort yourself out. It's so messed up because it's just not how we're, you know, how we've evolved as a species. And it's not how we're supposed to be. I think, I think the, the source of joy, which you've, pointed out in what you were saying earlier on when it comes to grief is that communal element that like you know family and friends rallying around you and coming over and making you food and sharing stories and that kind of stuff and I do think yeah it's kind of tried to say you the individual needs to look for places to find joy in your grief but it's much more profound to say you the friends and family of the individual who are going through grief you have the power to bring them joy and to bring them peace and to bring them comfort. So in this sense, joy in in grief, I think joy is a gift that we can give to people rather than it being something which we have to muster up for ourselves. Yeah. And I think not going looking for it, you know, because it's connected in whatever you're in. If you're in despair and connected, you might well find that joy like as a byproduct of it, but you don't, yeah, I don't think you go into conversations or sitting with people when you've lost someone thinking, Oh, I'm going to find a bit of joy here. You, you, you're in what you're in and it's horrible and it's Mm. scary and messy and depressing and heavy and horrible. Um, and lots of different things. Um, I guess the other thing we're talking about grief and loss. And I think the automatic thing we think of is death in that and like losing people, but obviously grief and loss can be a, for a number of different things as well, like things you, you've lost in your life, parts of your identity, or if you've moved house as well. And I don't want to equate them to like someone dying, but how important loss and grief are in, in lots of different ways mm-hmm. of, of, of not just being about when someone's died. And you, um, I think, I think there's lots and lots of different versions of, of loss. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I know I've had like a lot of different versions of that. Um, yeah. And again, just like touching, not to keep going back to this well, but like touching on my like recovery from an eating disorder, like I'm still letting go of some of that. I, I, in some ways, I want it eradicated and gone and out of my life. I hate it. But like mm-hmm. also, it's a part of my life and it's um, letting go of it. It's quite difficult because um, it's arrived in my life for a reason and then being able to um incorporate it into my life or let it I don't know it's, it's quite hard to describe sometimes um I, I always feel quite self-indulgent when I end up in a conversation about my eating disorder um it's not it's not at all I think you talking about your eating disorder is really helpful for people I don't think it's self-indulgent in the least I hope so it just it, it can feel that way um I think I had an experience a couple of weeks ago of having some really difficult eating disorder thoughts that I often would have well, I would have been permanently in a couple of years ago, and now I have these thoughts. And what I almost end up doing is not in like some kind of spiritual way, or maybe it would be, but I wouldn't describe it in a spiritual way, but like I almost feel like I float above when I have this like, eating sort of voice. I kind of almost float above myself, watch myself 
have a conversation with this eating disorder part of myself, mm-hmm. almost like I'm a third party to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we watch this exchange and then be able to sum it up and go, right, I hear both sides of that. I don't need that part, thanks, eating disorder. I don't need to act on that. I don't need to behave in that way. Yeah. So I hear you. I know you're trying to do something for me, but no, fuck off now. I don't need that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then kind of come back down and be like, well, that wasn't very nice. It felt really uncomfortable. But um, what's brilliant is I don't now need to act on that in a way that I would have before. I'm not going to go and do this unhealthy or dangerous thing. And um, and letting go of that um, and losing that is, is quite a difficult process. Yeah. Um, as much as it's an unhealthy part of me. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah, completely. I think you're right. I think we, we associate grief with people dying. And obviously that is, that's a, 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 maybe the most kind of crystal clear experience of grief where grief is so unavoidable and undeniable. Um, but certainly from my experience, I mean, I have lost grandparents, which I've been really sad about, but I haven't, I haven't had that thing of somebody who I'm so close to dying that it really kind of feels like a part of myself has kind of gone with them. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I you know, I haven't lost parents or siblings or really, really, really close friends or whatever. Um, but f- so for me, I think my most acute experience of grief was going through a breakup that I went through a few years ago. And yeah. that was, was well, two years ago. I think that that breakup happened and still two years on occasionally grief hits me, you know, occasionally I feel myself kind of surprised by, well, where does this emotion come from? You know, all of a sudden out of nowhere, you know, I'm suddenly finding myself crying or whatever. Um, and, uh, I can't remember where I was going with that. Yeah. So just, yeah, that thing of like, it doesn't, when we're talking about grief and loss, doesn't need to just be death that we're talking about, but like, it can be the grief of, you know, a potential future that you thought you were going to have that you're not going to have anymore, you know, all, all sorts of things. But I think the, the outworking is the same in that it's always this thing, which is unexpected, Un- unwelcome imposed upon us and in all of those situations so certainly with me and that experience that i just talked about that you know that that experience of grief for me to have tried to just work my way out of it myself would have been completely fruitless and one of the most and actually this was a this this is a really joyful memory for me was when my grief was at its most acute which was at the beginning of lockdown last year and I was living here by myself and I just had this thought of like, I, I can't just deal with this by myself and lockdown is kind of forcing me to. So I texted a few people who, some of which were already close friends and some who I didn't really know all that well, but who lived nearby and said, I need to go for a walk with a friend every day during lockdown. Um, can I book you for once a week? And literally had five or six friends, you know, I'm seeing this guy on Monday, this girl on Tuesday, this couple on Wednesday. And so my whole week, I had at least one social interaction with a friend. And it was that sense of having a community rallying around me, you know, not quite cooking me meals like I was talking about with the wake, but but being there and making time for me and, you know, sacrificing an hour, an hour and a half of their day to spend time with me, which I hope didn't feel like a sacrifice. I think they enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, But that was where the joy started to come in then, that the grief didn't go. It's not like that magically cured the grief, um, but it gave me kind of, it was like the sun coming through the clouds a little bit, you know, the clouds part a little bit and 
the sun shines through for a little while. And yeah. that again, joy was something which I couldn't muster up for myself, but was given to me by, by the people around me. Yeah. And that's why, and I think you and I have spoken about this before, although not probably not on the podcast. That's why, you know, certain, you know, people who grow up with nobody ever telling them that they're loved and worthwhile and whatever, that's the real tragedy of it is that the kind of self-help narrative is kind of like, well, you know, you just got to believe that you are, but actually I don't think that you can believe that you are if no one's ever told you that you are. And I'm not convinced that you can get through grief without that kind of sense of community. Um, yeah. So there is, there is, I, I do, this hadn't occurred to me until we started talking, but I really like, I think it's really important that idea that discovering joy isn't something which should be an individual burden. And maybe actually the focus should be more on how do we give people the gift of joy rather than how do we fix it for ourselves? And I suspect those two things are inter intertwined in the sense that beginning to focus on how we give people the gift of joy means that we'll discover it for ourselves as well. Yeah, as so letting go, go on, go on. Letting, yeah, so letting go of stuff is difficult. Um, and when, whether it's a choice or not, I know we've concentrated a lot on it being imposed on us and losing someone or losing something, but there's also like an element of, um, so when I was describing like recovery and choosing to do something, choosing to let go of something, there's, there's other versions of that, I think, that aren't easy, that are still very painful, um, that and it does go back into that discomfort comfort place as well um again i was just thinking of something from I, i'm quite sure how to sum this up or how to put this into words but um for me i'm now in my late 30s i'm going to be 40 in a couple of years um getting to a point in my life of feeling like proud of who i am and my identity and mm. um being more comfortable with being um a, a gay man and um and being more openly um, who I am with the world um, and letting go of this other version of me that's been so not that for so many years is really difficult because um, you kind of get comfortable in this <laughs> comfortable in this uncomfortable place uh, or uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so I'm, again, I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to say with that. Tim, but like, um, I guess like making some kind of action or choosing to let go of something can still be very difficult and yeah. painful. And I think we've spoken about, I can't remember if it was on this podcast or the time when you were on God or whatever. And we talked about, um, the importance of the pride community for you mm. in making peace with who you are. And again, it's yeah. that thing of like, in that, in that instance, joy was something which you needed the the your tribe your community to kind of help you to discover there's um i can't remember where this comes from it's something that i heard a lot when i was kind of growing up in christian youth groups and a lot of the stuff which i heard growing up in christian youth groups was really shit but occasionally there was really good stuff that came through and one of them was this thing about like this guy who had um who created this image of like the experience of hell and the experience of heaven. I don't believe in a literal hell, but the, you know, the, the experience of hell. And he talked about seeing hell and, you know, at the, at the table in hell, you were all these people around this amazing, beautiful feast, but they all had cutlery that was longer than their arms. 
So they weren't able to like get the food into their mouth. So it's like torture because, you know, it's there in front of them, but because the forks and spoons and knives were longer than their arms, they weren't able to like actually get it in. And then the image of heaven was of exactly the same feast with exactly the same problem. But what people had figured out was that they could feed each other using the long cutlery. Um, and I, like say, whatever beliefs about the afterlife doesn't really matter. That's not the point of this, but that idea of like, if joy, whether it's through grief or, you know, whatever else is something that we need to muster up for ourselves that, you know, we in isolation, you know, we need to read some self-help books and get better. Then I think that feels like that experience of hell of like, yeah, I can see what I'm supposed to feel like, but I can't do it. But I really like that idea of like, but what I can do is visit my friend who is grieving. What I can do is prepare a meal for, you know, this person who hasn't got time to cook for themselves down the road. What I can do is sit with that person who's dying and hold their hands and read them a poem. Um, and that's, you're giving joy then. You're putting joy out there rather than just kind of seeking it for yourself. And I think that's more effective for everyone. Yeah, I mean, what that sounds like is nourishing, like nourishing people um, yeah. and, and getting nourishment and that kind of potentially either being joy or leading to joy. Yeah, um, for, and, and nourishment... I mean, there are certain things we can do ourselves to help that, but yeah, nourishment definitely comes from a community and from people being in things together, experiencing things together. Um, and whilst we're talking about like the joy in grief and loss and discomfort and stuff, it's just again, just to, I think, reiterate that if you've lost someone, it's out of your control. It's fucking awful. And there is yeah. sometimes being in that awfulness is a, is a long period of time and it's uncomfortable and it can feel like it's going to be forever. Um, so I, I, I don't want to pretend that uh, we're coming with solutions to rip you out of that. Cause I think it's so important that we validate how people feel, not, you know, don't rescue people from their feelings, validate them. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's really important that as much as it can be a, either uh, an instinct or a compulsion to want to rescue someone from how they feel. Yeah. It's far more important to validate that. And I think joy can come way more easily through validating how someone feels than it can by rescuing them from what they're feeling. Yeah. I think, I think I might have said this before, maybe in the first episode, but um, one of my great, like kind of heroes in my faith is this guy, St. John of the cross, who was like a Spanish mm -hmm. monk. Um, and he talked about that experience of, he, he called it the dark night of the soul, which, you know, let's, we can strip away all of the religious language, but the experience of, I guess, depression of, you know, of grief, of the world falling apart around you. And he talks about in, in that moment, in that experience, our temptation is to kind of, to run away from it, to kind of climb out of it and to find, you know, the, you know, some kind of experience that will make us feel better, some kind of positive experience. Mm. But the dark night of the soul, the whole point of that book is he, he talks about by learning to sit in that darkness and not to run from it. For him, he ultimately discovered that that's the place where he felt most held by God. You know, so that idea that if God is infinite, if God is everywhere, if God is in everything, then even in the scariest possible places, you will be able to find God. And the mistake is to run away, um, to, to try to find your next kind of positive experience. And to make that non-religious, I would say that the, 
that peace, that calm, that uh, uh, that life, that joy is there, is there holding us all of the time. And I think it's a kind of anxious scrabbling away from those difficult experiences. Like, oh, I don't want to feel that way. I've got to get out of it, which is more detrimental to a kind of discovering joy than to be able to say, I'm just going to sit here in my grief for now and allow myself to, to feel sad. Um, yeah. That's a much more freeing and joyful kind of experience, I think, than, you know, Definitely. almost like putting your fingers in your ears. Oh, la, la, I don't want to feel that way. Well, that kind of profound loss can feel like you've had your your world taken away from you, your life taken away from you. And like, mm. but actually, if you just sit in what you've just said there, like sitting in that grief and upset and despair, like it hasn't, you haven't had your world taken away from you. It feels that way and it feels that difficult because you're in something, you're in a feeling, you're in, mm. it's horrible and it's heavy and it's difficult. Um, but yeah, and it can be so hard. That's why I think why it's so difficult to try and do that alone. You were talking about, people dying on their own but then people who have lost people who are then on their own with that yeah. as well you know, who yeah. is 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 awful as well like to try and cope with that or move through that or sit in that on your own is almost unbearable to do yeah um, in such a lonely lonely place um yeah. so we've gone over an hour already tim um we have so i want to ask you just to have a handbrake turn out of that conversation okay um, okay um what has brought you joy since our last podcast well uh, so uh there's i was prepared for this question <laughs> um and there's an anecdote <laughs> i've been deliberately avoiding telling because i've been waiting for it for this <laughs> um oh, very contrived yeah yeah absolutely um, there's a guy and I won't go into details obviously because of confidentiality or whatever, but there, there's a guy who I went to go and visit in hospital, um, a while ago who had asked to see the chaplain or, or in fact, who had been referred on to us, um, who was about to have an operation and old guy, you know, um, yeah, in his later years, um, and quite a lonely guy. He had lost you know, his, his family and friends over the course of his life. And I was kind of last man standing kind of out of them and was just really, really scared about this operation. He kept kind of saying things like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not very brave. I'm just very, very scary. And the tears were kind of streaming down his face while he was talking. And, it, you know, I was trying to kind of reassure him a little bit and say that, you know, I do think that you are actually really brave and everyone feels scared before an operation, but not everyone's brave enough to say that they feel scared. And then he started talking about his loss and, you know, the, the people who he misses. And we happen to have these little, they're like little wooden hearts that are designed to kind of fit comfortably in the palm of your hand that you can kind of squeeze. Um, and so I gave him one of those and just said like, you know, why don't you hold this? And when you're scared, like give it a squeeze and think about, you know, think about your wife, think about, you know, the people who you've lost think about the people who love you. Think about the people who you love and, you know, just, just squeeze it as hard as you can squeeze it with all your might when you're scared. Um, and he, again, like the tears kind of streamed. It was, it was just, so he was really just so grateful for that visit. Um, and then the next day I went to go and see him. Um, and he was showing me that, you know, he'd had some issues with his, um, what do you call it? The little thing that goes in the back of your hand where the drip goes in. Um, Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. I can't remember what the right word is for it, but they they had some issues with it. So he was showing me that on his hand. And then he said, and you're going to laugh. And he pulled his other hand out from under the duvet and he was holding his little kind of wooden heart. And I was like, 
honestly, you've made my day. That's so lovely. And I'm not going to laugh at all. You know, I just, I'm, I'm so grateful to you for receiving that little gift, you know, that we gave you. And it's a weird thing because it was like on the surface of it, just a very sad encounter and, you know, a very like emotional encounter, but it felt so joyful to me because it really felt like, well, it's just that connection I was talking about just now, you know, we made a real deep, profound connection with each other and supported each other. And yeah, it was just a really kind of lovely moment that carried me through. It, it, I left thinking like, maybe I can do this job, <laughs> um, which was a really, really lovely feeling. So I'm really, I mean, that guy would have no idea how grateful I am to him. You know, he would have probably thought that he was wasting my time or whatever, but genuinely hit that conversation with him gave me the courage to kind of see the rest of the day through. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my little joyful story for this month. I love that. Yeah, me too. I go back and see him all the time now, whenever I feel like overwhelmed at work or whatever. And I I joke with the other like chaplains on the team. I say, I know know you're not really just supposed to go and see your favorite, but I am just going to go and see him again. (laughs) That's such a lovely little, I mean, not just a lovely story, but like a lovely experience. And like your, your face just lit up as you were talking about that as well. Mm, mm. Um, Yeah, it was really meaningful. Yeah, you can tell. I, I mean, I know the other people aren't like watching your face, but like I am. Yeah. And, um, it, you can, I can tell how like meaningful that was. Um, and the impact that's had. That's lovely. What's yours? I want to, ch- I've got like two. Um, I feel like it's a bit of a cheat. Um, go for it. Go for it. Go for both. We can have a long episode this month. I mean, I'm, I'll make them relatively quick. Um, <laughs> one was um, a hip-hop dance class a couple of weeks ago. Um, we did a routine to a song that I'd never heard before by Lizzo. Um, and we, the instructor, like, ended up turning all the lights on, put disco lights on, pumped the volume up, and we just did this routine like, and gave it all of our might giving it all the welly and, and like all of us together in this dance and it was only like a minute or 90 second routine and I just I felt so much joy in my body and like it just made me smile and I just in, I just enjoyed the crap out of it mm-hmm. um and it was amazing and then my second one's very different and that's just so like I said earlier I've been on holiday for the last week to Zakynthos and just, I guess just going on holiday has been lovely actually but um I went exploring every day. Um, I like a little fortress of solitude walk um, every day. And I'd go down to the beach first thing in the morning and there's no one around. And I took a few videos of this, but there's a little cliff that I found with like a little Greek flag on the top. And um, I just stand there with the sun rising, nobody else on the whole beach and all the mountains that I could see, just listening to the sea, watching the sun come up just all I could hear was the the sea and some birds um, and just being on my own with that um, Mm. felt so relaxing. And I just wish I could like capture and bottle those moments, which I filmed it a couple of times just on my phone, just because I just want to play them back to myself, but um, just really ground me, bring me a lot of yeah peace, joy. And it was just a beautiful moment that I had most mornings on on my own um, in Zakynthos this week. So, yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's uh you sent me some of those videos uh on WhatsApp and that it was it was it was beautiful and I found them really peaceful as well. 
And I mean, this is a subject for a whole new podcast. I won't get into now, but you know, having been talked about being held by community, I do think there's something also really powerful about being held by nature and by, you know, the, the natural world and that kind of life around us, but maybe that's a topic for another time. Um, Indeed. And I, I I will just very quickly say, I I also have another one, which just occurred to me while you were talking. um, And that's uh, you actually. And, a um, couple of friends, but you're you're kind of at the top there of the list, which is just, you know, that in the past month, there have been moments in my new job where I felt completely overwhelmed and in over my head and feeling like I can't do this. Um, and the knowledge that I have good friends who I can reach out to, and there's been a few times when I've texted you and, you know, a few friends who live nearby who've kind of been able to make time to go to the pub after work and whatever, but just the kind of knowledge that, I've got good people around me who love me and who who give me joy, who can hold me through those difficult times. I'm really, really grateful for. So, um, yeah, sorry to make you feel awkward, but yeah, you're you're my second one. I mean, you after the old man. The old man's first. Sorry, man. That's fine. I mean, that's <laughs> I'll take second place. Um, that's um, that's lovely, Tim. Thank you for saying that. Um, and you're very welcome. Like, it's not felt like a thing I've done or anything. Like. It's, but, um, no, no. Well, if it had, then I wouldn't have been, you know, that's, that's the beauty of kind of friendship that, you know, if it's like, if it was somebody who I felt I was imposing on, then that wouldn't have been a joyful or comforting thing. But knowing there's people who are genuinely glad to hear from me, you know, and who, who can get my head back on track that, that I'm really grateful for. Well, thanks for trumping mine anyway. Um, that was, oh, yeah, mate, I'm a hospital chaplain. I'm going to have fucking stories. <laughs> You're not going to be able to Is it? Was it like an in unison thing we did at the end? Yeah, we did, but I can't remember what it was. It was something really lame, like I can't remember. <laughs> it was, what was yeah. it? I mean, um, I don't think you're allowed to say lame anymore, by the way. But um... oh, fuck, so many good words. <laughs> <laughs> All the best words we can't use. Anymore. It was something really gay. What was it? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, even though it's a joke, it stings to hear that. Does it? Does it? I, I yeah. retract it. I'm sorry. No, no, you've no, you've said it now. Shit, I've come out really badly now. Yeah, after that <laughs> like, little lovely moment. Yeah, I was, I was winning just now with that story. Now, now I, I just had like... to shit on it. You had to shit on it in some way. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise to to the audience, to you. I've let you down. I've let myself down. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want you to go away with a load of shame about it but um i will i will what are we what are we saying in unison um let's say um oh it was you've got a friend in us that's, that's what it, it was okay it. let's do it let's do it again because it, <laughs> okay uh, on three one two three you you've got a friend what? Uh, in friend uh, in us. <laughs> all right until next time have a good month everyone Ciao. don't forget to email us your questions at um, joystorypodcast at gmail.com well remember